One of the most common themes we see all throughout the book of Proverbs is money, wealth, treasures, riches. Uh, the book of Proverbs undoubtedly, as you read this book, sees money as a good thing. I mean, I'll show it to you, Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 10, 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The book of Proverbs views wealth as a good gift from God. And when used correctly, is a gift, is viewed as a gift, should be seen as a gift. It's not an ultimate thing. God adds no sorrow attached to it. He doesn't give it to us as a curse, but as a blessing. Money is a blessing. It brings a level of security in an unsure world. It gives comfort in an uncomfortable world. It gives a sense of order in a world of chaos. It is one of God's blessings to help you glorify Him and to help you love your neighbor. And yet, having said all those things, Money is the most dangerous thing to your soul. It's dangerous to you no matter how much money you get. Whether you're 12 years old and your parents give you $10 a week, or you earn $10,000 a week. Doesn't matter how much you earn. Money is dangerous. Jesus often speaks about money. He often speaks about the love of money. He even uh, calls certain people to give all their possessions, sell them, and give all the proceeds to the poor. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The love of money produces so many different kinds of evil, and it is a terrible threat to your soul. And yet, it is one of God's greatest blessings and gifts to you. Huh. If you look at the parable of the sower, what do we see? The seed that falls among the thorns, we learn that the sower spreads the gospel. As he's spreading the gospel, the seed falls where it wills, and it falls amongst the thorns. And what does he say about the thorns? Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, the gospel message, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is salvation. This is big stuff. We're not, we're not talking about... This is just sin. This is something that gets in the way of people following and loving and knowing Jesus. So they walk away from Jesus, these people. Money has been the greatest stumbling block to so many people. And so the Bible, at one moment, calls wealth a blessing from God, a strong sea, and also poison. That will destroy you. So how are we going to make sense of all this? How are we going to bring these two polar opposite, seemingly polar opposite things together? Well, we're going to look at three things from the book of Proverbs. As we know, the book of Proverbs is our friend. And every week as we come to God's word, I often find myself shocked by just how amazing and glorious the things we find there are. So we're going to look at three things. The first thing is the blessing of wealth. The second thing we're going to look at is the purpose of wealth. And the last thing we're going to look at is the redemption of wealth. Three things. First thing, the blessing of wealth. Wealth is a blessing when it's at peace with the goodness and grace of God. Wealth is a blessing when it's at peace with the goodness and grace of God. 
In Christian culture, we have about two different views of our wealth that are kind of predominant. You guys will have heard of these two. One view is something that you will hear if you turn on the uh, TBN or if you turn on uh, Christian stuff early in the morning, you may see these guys called prosperity preachers. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the prosperity gospel. It's this theology that teaches if you follow God, things are going to go well. God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you financially. He's going to give you that dream job, that dream spouse, that dream car, the nice house out of the vintage, six-figure salary. Name it and claim it. You're going to get it. God wants you to be rich. He wants you to be wealthy. And He wants to bless you. They turn to passages like we just read in the book of Proverbs to back up their claims. They talk about guys like Abraham and Solomon and Job, all wealthy men, all blessed by God. You can be just like them. You can live in luxury. And if you're not rich, well, all you've got to do is ask. And if you don't get rich, well, guess what? You don't have enough faith. You haven't asked God. You haven't named it and claimed it. They'll turn to passages like John 14, 13. They'll say, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. They kind of don't really interpret the last bit, they just interpret the first bit. But what's wrong with these theology? Well, they don't deal with any passages in Scripture that talk about the deceitfulness and poison and threat that money has towards us. They don't talk about how it warps us and makes us proud and arrogant and foolish. Uh, They don't deal with the stuff that Jesus says about giving away all your wealth and selling it and giving it to the poor. And so a lot of people get sucked into this kind of stuff. You know why? Well, because we all like money deep down. We all like getting a bit rich. And if all we have to do is believe in God and trust in Jesus and He'll make us rich, that's a pretty good deal. I'll go for that. And a lot of people get sucked into this kind of theology, but they don't realize that it's dangerous. And it is something that shipwrecks so many people's faith. It's one of the, you know, they're basically just growing up thorns amongst all these Christians and hoping that the deceitfulness of riches doesn't choke them out. There's another trap. There are two traps, the prosperity gospel. You could probably imagine that the other trap is the complete opposite, a poverty gospel, a poverty theology, the idea that God hates rich people and prefers poor people, that God loves the poor more than the rich and that the rich people are evil and that being rich is evil. The best thing you need to do is give away all your possessions, live like a homeless person. Give it all away. Rely entirely on God's provision. Don't have any wealth. Don't have anything in your bank account. Don't have a single possession to your name. And just like prosperity theology, it's partially right. It's got scriptures to back it up. But it's very wrong. The Bible constantly tells us, work hard. Earn money. Provide for your families. Seek to be self-sufficient. Don't be a burden on others. Don't, if you can help it, don't take handouts. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Man, Paul is not pulling any punches with that one, is he? You've already heard this one before. And prosperity theology can shipwreck your faith, but so can poverty theology. If you're no longer someone who provides, who gives blessings, who's generous in a way that you provide for the people that are underneath you, Paul says you're worse than a non-believer. So both the claim that God either loves poor people more or rich people more. I mean, are poor people more spiritually healthy than rich people? Are rich people more spiritually healthy than poor people? Both theologies claim 
That is true. Sometimes we are rich, and I know some people here do earn a lot of money, and you feel immensely guilty about it. I'm sure you do. Other people are poor, and they feel unloved by God. They feel like God doesn't provide for them. He doesn't help them. But the Bible is more wonderfully complex than either of those theologies. The Bible has a more complicated and nuanced view that when you fully understand it, it's simply glorious. It's simply amazing. And the church needs to rediscover how the book of Proverbs sees wealth as a blessing, but also how we should relate to riches knowing the danger they possess. So we're going to hold two things in tension right now. Wealth is good and wealth is bad. Let's get into it. Okay. The first thing to notice about the blessing of wealth is that it must be earned by working hard. You have to work hard for it. You can't earn it by unjust means. Now, it's not controversial, but the book of Proverbs actually devotes so much time to this. So much time. Uh, Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 13.11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 14.23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Proverbs 13.7. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Proverbs 22.26-27. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, Why should your bed be taken from under you? And that last one is basically, don't buy things if you don't have the means to pay it back because your creditors will come and they'll even steal your bed. They'll steal everything you have if you can't pay it. The Proverbs Guide to Money is really simple. It's four points. First point, work hard. Second point, don't spend more than you earn. Number three, save your money. Number four, don't look for any loopholes. Do those four things, don't look for any loopholes, and you will earn money. That's the Proverbs Guide to Money. It's not that hard to live within your means and live honestly with what God has given. Uh, but many people like to spend their money, don't they? Uh, Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So many save up their money only to blow it on the weekend. So many save up all their money just to go internet shopping every week, or go do some lavish spending out in the shops, or plan getaway holidays, or go eating out every day, or plan extravagant parties. It's this self-centered way of spending that the book of Proverbs is very clearly against. It uses it as dangerous. Uh, others attempt to get rich really quickly, and they attempt to get rich by any means possible, unjust ways. Uh, Proverbs 22.16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Interesting passage, this one. On the topic of wealth, Proverbs condemns unjust wealth gain the most when it deals with wealth, when it deals with riches. Unjust wealth gain is the most that Proverbs has to say on this topic. Whether it's unjust scales, committing fraud, accepting bribes, stealing. The book of Proverbs says, work hard for your own money, be diligent, do not try to get money by unjust means. Don't reply to those Nigerian princes who send you emails. 
Don't fall for the pyramid schemes. No quick, you know, no five quick tips. None of those like, you know, clickbait articles you see on the uh, internet. Don't go there. Earn it slowly. Earn it surely. Because money earned this way comes from God. If you earn money that way, it's His good and gracious provision to you. The laborer deserves his wages. See it as a blessing from his hand. Don't feel bad about it. If you earned it, it's yours. Fair and square. You earned it. As long as you don't oppress people for it, as long as you didn't commit fraud, as long as you didn't steal, it's yours. And it's a good blessing from God's hand, and no one should take it away. Proverbs 22.4 The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, we're going to unpack that a bit later. But God gives great wealth as a blessing. But Proverbs is quick to remind the reader that wealth is not really as important as other things. If you had to get a scale, we grab the book of Proverbs and we put a scale on things that were important to the writer of the book of Proverbs, wealth isn't actually that high. And I'll show you why. Wisdom is better than money, according to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 13 to 14. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. Her profit better than gold. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. In God's eyes, search for wisdom first. Get knowledge first. Wisdom and knowledge, so much more to be valued and prized than riches. So we already see straight away, well, is below wisdom in the scale. In God's eyes, it's better to be humble and poor to end have integrity and moral character than to be rich and corrupt. Your reputation and character are vastly superior to wealth. Let's have a look. Proverbs 22.1 A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 28.6 Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. In other words, chasing riches is soul-destroying. If you chase riches at the sake of your character, Book of Proverbs has a lot of negative to say about it. But most importantly, and I'm sure you guys will have already picked up on this, it is better to have a saving relationship with God than riches. Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Riches are a blessing, but you've got to put them in the rightful place. They're not that important. They're really not that important. It might shock you, but they rank low. They rank low in the book of Proverbs. It's better to have wisdom, integrity, most importantly, a saving relationship with the Lord than riches. Get all those three at any cost more than you would seek riches or seek to have riches. So if riches rank low on this blessing scale that we see from the book of Proverbs, then why does God give wealth? That's our second point. The purpose of wealth. The wise serve others with their money. The wise are generous. God did not give money for self-centeredness, idolatry, greed, or materialism. And those things are what creates the, uh, the soil that grows thorns. 
Uh, before we learn why uh, God gave wealth, I want to look really quickly about what the book of Proverbs has to say about how we twist its purpose. So we're going to look at how man views wealth, and then we're going to look real at what God views the purpose of wealth is. And it's basically this. This is, the, this is the human view. Money, ultimately, is our way of becoming autonomous from God. That's the man-centered view. Money, ultimately, is our way of becoming autonomous from God. The book of Proverbs is very realistic about money. It understands that we're obsessed with money. Uh, Proverbs 11.28, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs 27.24, For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. Uh, hoarding wealth for yourself, uh, gaining wealth and using wealth as a means to be less and less dependent on God until you think you have this, you don't even have any need for him. The Bible says that's just utterly foolish. Because no matter how wealthy you get, it might increase your perception that you're autonomous from God, but does it actually make you autonomous from God? God gives and takes away. Wealth is nothing to him. He can take wealth away in an instant. He can make anyone the poorest of the poor in an instant. Wealth is really not a security. Because wealth is fickle. It comes and it goes. It doesn't last forever. It doesn't endure to all generations. We are all dependent on God from the richest to the poorest. The poor are not more dependent on God to provide for them. The rich are not less dependent on God because they have all these things. We are all equally dependent on God for the same things. Proverbs 11, 7. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. Now this is something we hear all the time. You can't take your wealth with you when you die. We all know it. We leave it behind. It's bizarre that people hoard it as if when they die, it's going to give them comfort. So you imagine some guy dying in bed and he's surrounded by stacks of $100 bills and he's hugging his money. Is that really going to comfort him in those days? I mean, he's probably got a mental illness if it does. But he can't take it with him. Some people seem to think that their money indicates their worth. And somehow it's going to impress God when they get there. He's going to be like, you want it that much? Ah, oh, come on in. What a wealth. Ah, you did really well. You think it's going to impress him? You think it's going to bribe him? He has unlimited resources. That's not impressive. What's impressive is what you did with your life. The problem with wealth is this, ultimately. Money becomes our servant to do our own will, rather than doing God's will. Trusting in money is the opposite of trusting in God. So what are we to do? Well, the opposite of trusting in money is being generous with your money. The opposite of hoarding is giving away. <coughs> Wealth is given to us so we can be generous. Being radically generous is the best way to guard your soul from the dangers of money. Let's look at it. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about generosity. Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 31. 
Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. But check out this one. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Very interesting proverbs I just read. The last one, we've got two rich men. One gives freely, and the other doesn't. One seems to grow richer, and the other doesn't either. Uh, the other doesn't grow richer, is unsatisfied. Why? This is because, ultimately, wealth will not satisfy you. It will not satisfy you. If you're stingy, you don't give to others, you'll find that that wealth will not satisfy your soul. Ecclesiastes 5.10 puts it better than I can. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Do you notice that people who complain the most are like often the wealthiest? And celebrities always have problems. They've got all the fame and fortune that you could possibly want. There's a really good, good Charlotte song, if you guys know that one, Lifestyles of Rich and the Famous. Man, if money is such a problem, why don't we just go rob them of their money and solve that problem? Don't actually do that. Um, but you notice how in those passages, giving is tied to God. It's not just give and you will feel better about yourself. It's not just give and you'll be more satisfied with your wealth. It's give as an act in tr- of trust in God. God is basically saying, as in an act of trust in me, why don't you give that money away? Why don't you give that money away so then you can learn how to trust me to provide for you? Uh, Proverbs 10.3 says this, uh, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. God promises to provide. Do we believe that? God does provide, and we truly believe that, then God's provision frees you up to be radically generous. Proverbs 22.2 The rich and the poor meet together, the Lord is the maker of them all. All our wealth, our possessions, every single thing that we own belongs to God. He created it. He has given it to you. So what's the right response? Honor God with your money. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Interesting. Almost sounds wrong. It almost sounds like if I give to God, God will give to me. And if I just give away my money, I'm going to get to be richer. And as we've seen, honouring the Lord in the book of Proverbs could be as simple as giving to the poor. That says if you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. It could be as simple as giving to the needy, giving to the temple work of his kingdom, because this is what it's talking about, honouring the Lord with your first fruits. We know it was the temple tithe in the Old Testament. You give the first fruits of your projects, a tenth of your harvest, you give to the Lord. A tenth of all your wealth, you'll give to the Lord. And this ultimately makes no economical sense. Go and find a guy who'll plan your budget. 
get him down, sit down with your budget, and if he sees that you're giving away 10% of your income, he's going to be like, what's going on over here? And you say, ah, can we bring that down a little bit? Like, that's going to kill you. That's going to kill your finances. 10%? That's a lot. That's a lot of money. It makes no financial sense. It's not a healthy financial strategy to give away 10% of your income. And yet, God promises to bless those who give especially those who give to him. How is this the case? Well, I was hesitant to talk about this. I've never really talked about money. You guys know at church, I'm not a pastor that comes up and wants your money and tells you to give to the church or anything. Um, and perhaps the reason that I haven't done that is because I'm a bit of a coward and I don't really want to do it. But I'm going to do it. And so here we are. We're going to all join this in together. Uh, it's going to be really uncomfortable, but we're just going to embrace it. So, here we are, talking about money. I know like there's three things in Australia you can't talk about. Politics, religion, and money. Well, we're going to dive into almost all three of those today. Uh, but we're going to talk about religion and money. So, uh, we know that um, for the gospel to go forth, um, the gospel going forth, God's grace prevailing in people's life, uh, we want to be about that ministry. That's what we're here at church for. And obviously, this ministry can't go forward as effectively without provision. It can't go forward as effectively without resources. If we didn't have someone paying for this wall, well, we'd have to meet outside. If we didn't have anyone providing the chairs, we'd have to sit on the ground. And if we didn't have anyone providing um, basic things, we wouldn't actually be able to meet. So provision is, in, a, a, in an element, a part of uh, the church. First Corinthians 9, 13 and 14, Paul talks about giving in the church. He says this, he says, uh, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? He's talking about the Old Testament system. But now he's applying it to the New Testament. In the same way, that tithe that used to go to the temple service, the Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He links that same giving structure from the Old Testament, the tithe, and he links it with the church. And he says that gospel ministers should earn their living from their ministry. And all throughout 1 Corinthians 9 and Romans 15, we have this encouragement to the church to give generously, to give freely. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is collecting for the Jerusalem church. They've undergone persecution. People have lost homes. The church is scattered with all these poor people where all their wealth has been taken from them by the government. And so all the churches are rushing to get this money together so they can help the Jerusalem church. And this is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Very similar to Proverbs. The principle is rather simple that Paul gives us. If you sow generosity, you will reap generosity. If you sow money, you will reap money. 
you will grow into a cheerful and generous giver and get immense joy and satisfaction in providing for others. Now, what am I saying? Am I saying that God will give you more money if you give away your money? Not necessarily. If you give away and sow generosity, you will reap generosity. You will become more generous. What you do in your life, your actions, how you sow your actions, you will reap more of those actions. You will uh, have more comfort, security, and happiness rather in God rather than having a large bank account. And in God's sovereign will, if He decides to bless you by giving you more money, He doesn't give you that money so you can live in luxury. It's not give to Him, and then you get your little thing. And then you give to God, and then you get your little thing. If God decides to bless you by giving your mom, you more money, He does that so you will have more money to be generous with. You will become a conduit for God's blessings. God will use you in a way to supply His kingdom, to build up His kingdom and push His gospel forward. When you give to gospel ministries, you partner with those gospel ministries. You enable those gospel ministries. You are part of the work of the kingdom when you give. That's the teaching we see. So the church gives generously and freely when we can and where we see the need. When we can and where we see the need. God's people are generous. Which is ironic because there's this teaching in the church about pastors that they ought to not earn that much money. That they basically keep them slightly above the poverty line and you're good. But this is foreign to scripture. And I almost cut this, but I'm just going to read it. We're just going to get through it. Okay, have a listen. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. Now that ox bit, just to explain it, when the ox is treading out the grain, you don't want to muzzle it so it can't eat the grain. You want the ox to be able to eat. It's kind of like its reward in the, in the Bible. Uh, so it's not to say that the uh, minister should be wealthy. That's what I'm saying when it talks about this double honour. It's not a double wage, but it's this exhortation not to be stingy in the way that churches are to pay their ministers. Paying the minister frees them up well to continue to labour in preaching and teaching. If we keep them on the poverty line, then we're adding all these worldly problems to them alongside the gospel ministry. What Paul wants to do is free people up to go out and preach and teach and share that gospel message. And I've been so blessed in this church, it's full of people that give so generously and so freely. It's full of people that, um, and I just want to encourage you with this, um, that are doing what the Bible says and are doing it so faithfully. And I want you to encourage, just to encourage you with this teaching that you're in God's will if you're giving generously, and you're giving free, because no one's compelled you. We haven't sat at the front and been like, okay, guys, there's giving, it's not really going that well. well I, no, has anyone ever come up to you and confronted you about your giving? We're not that kind of church. And yet, in trusting God with that, we see this church just full of generous people. And I just want you to encourage you with the fact that Scripture um, has a lot to say about it. So... Some practical advice, very quick. We're kind of branching a little bit off my uh, sermon, but just some practical advice. Our scripture is very clear on the teaching about giving, tithing. Tithing is a good and biblical thing. Setting aside 10% of your income to give to your local church is a good thing. 
Consider it. Think about it. Wherever you go, wherever you are fed with your teaching, wherever you get your teaching, whoever feeds you, whoever preaches the gospel to you, whoever gives you God's word, that's where you should be giving your time. If you leave our church and you go join another church, I want you to give to that church. If you want to give some money here, that's fine as well. You can send a little our way, but not at the expense of your time, okay? If you move churches, support the ministry where you are, where you are fed, that's where you need to be giving. And then on top of that, you are freed up to be generous with the money that God has given you. See that 10% as God's money, and the rest as the money that God gives you to be generous with. And then give to other ministries, like Compassion is a great ministry to be giving to. Give to ministries that you know in the local area that you want to support. Give to people that you can see that you are like, yes, that is a gospel minister that I want to um, I want to see uh, freed up to do more ministry, I'm going to give to them. Wherever it is, wherever you see the need, use your money, give to the poor, give to the needy, support people in our church. If anyone here, I'd like to think that if anyone in here fell on hard times, we would be the first people to rally around them and help them. And that would indicate to me that our church is a church saturated with the gospel. So the purpose of wealth, use it in the service of God and neighbor. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the best way to think about money. But we still don't have the full picture of wealth. Keep tracking with me. Last thing, the fulfillment of wealth. Proverbs 11.4 Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. We all have to come before God one day. We've already seen how we can't take money. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. So many cling to their wealth and to their dying day. But only righteousness delivers from death. And that is good news if we're righteous. Unfortunately, as most of us are well aware, we are not righteous. Romans 3.10 says, you can say better, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And before God, no matter what your income, no matter what your salary, we are poor. We're not just poor, we're destitute. We have nothing, nada, not a single thing to offer before God. There's nothing to purchase our freedom. There's no goodness in us that could cause God to overlook an entire lifetime of rebellion. To overlook a whole lifetime of hostility towards him. There is nothing in us. We're destitute. We're utterly destitute. And wealth just distracts us from this reality. It confuses us and it tricks us into thinking that, yeah, we're righteous, but we're not. We're completely bereft of anything of value. And we feel secure when we ought to feel anxious. We feel comfort when we ought to feel fear. We feel in control when we should feel without hope. That is, of course, until you're confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to just how amazing this is. 2 Corinthians 8. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, 
might become rich. <laughs> what events? When you understand what Jesus has done for you, when it really finds a place in your heart, how can you look at money the same way again? How can you see money again? The gospel changes everything. Jesus, although he was wealthy, he had all the praise, honor, and glory in heaven that you could possibly ever want. He was at his father's side, and yet he took on flesh and he became killable. He became destitute. On the cross, the last things he owned were his clothes. Guess what happened to him? They were ripped off his back. They cast lots for him, the soldiers beneath the cross. He was naked, destitute, immeasurably poor, the God of the universe. Think about that. Jesus became immeasurably poor so that he could make you immeasurably rich. Think about it. It's Christ's poverty that gave you riches in heaven. It was Christ's destitution by which you can have wealth beyond your wildest dreams. 1 Corinthians 2.9 As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of men imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. The wealth laid up for you in heaven, the treasures that you have in heaven, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one has ever imagined it. It is too good to know. If you get a handle on this, if you realize the great cost that Jesus paid that day, when the world was torn in two and Christ breathed his last and he said, it is finished. When you grasp the depth of that, man, the troubles of the love of money, that just melts away, doesn't it? Who could be focused on money after hearing that, after knowing that? Look at Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why does the writer of Hebrews tell you that you should keep yourself free from the love of money? How can you do that? Because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is God speaking to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God is with us. That's how you can keep yourself free from the love of money. Recognizing that God is with us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He is present. He is providing. And he loves you. And he will be consistent. The thing that inoculates you, vaccinates you from the love of money is the love of God. Jesus says something amazing. Luke 12, 32 to 34. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. When a thief approaches and no moth destroys, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seek his kingdom first. Then these things will be added to you. But seek the kingdom first. He says at the end, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can tell what's valuable to you by where your treasure is. By where you put your money is what you believe in. I can tell a lot about you by where your treasure is. 
What gets you angry? What gets you anxious? What gets you depressed when it's threatened? I can see where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Freeing yourself from the love of money allows you to seek God's kingdom first. I always say this, some of you have heard this before, but don't chase careers, chase ministries. A career will never be given to you. Chase a gospel ministry. All these things will be added to you. So the question is, where is your ministry? What are you chasing? Where is your treasure? A life of radical generosity is to be sought over a life of hoarding wealth. Because Jesus says that wealth fails. Thieves break in and steal it. Moths destroy it. It rusts. It fades. But the treasures in heaven will not grow old. It's not saying that you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. But maybe some of you do need to do that. I don't know what Jesus is calling each of us individually to do. He doesn't say sell all your possessions, but sell your possessions when you see need. If you can meet need, sell. God will honor you if you honor him with your wealth. Let's pray. Father, riches is so tempting. Wealth is a, temp a temptation, Lord, that sometimes gets the better of us. The false sense of security that it gives, the false sense of value when it's outside of your will. Father, help us use wealth in a way that will honor you, glorify you. I pray for my friends here. Lord, I pray for those that may not know you. Help them to understand that they, before you, are just impoverished, destitute. Lord, but you made yourself poor so that we could be rich. We were just beggars, and yet you took our place and gave us the riches of kings. And Lord, it's so easy for us to just focus on this world and everything you give us here and just not focus on the treasures you will give us for all our toil. Lord, thank you for the book of Proverbs and how realistic it is about money, how practical it is with money. We want to be wise stewards of the gifts you give us, Lord. Help us as our church to be growing more and more into the image of your Son, learning from him, applying that to our lives, Lord, so that just as Jesus made himself poor to make others rich, help us, Lord, to make ourselves poor to make others rich. Lord, thank you how the gospel is just so refreshing. Free us up, Lord, from the love of money, by your spirit, in Jesus' name.